With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following is a presentation of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. Let's circle up, folks, because it's time for the Virginia Wrestling Roundup, a show by the Virginia Wrestling Association. The Virginia Wrestling Roundup is also brought to you by Cliff Keen Athletic, built for life. Get more information on Cliff Keen products by going to matttalkonline.com slash cliffkeen. I'm Jason Bryant, a proud Virginia native, and each month we'll talk about relevant events and topics as it relates to the landscape of VAWA and the wrestling community in the state of Virginia at large. As always, you can find out all you need to know about VAWA by going to virginiawrestling.com. And welcome, Virginia Wrestling fans. It's episode 10 of the Virginia Wrestling Roundup, a podcast for the Virginia Wrestling Association. My name is Jason Bryant, again with you today. The VHSL is a topic again, and it was one of the most listened to podcasts here on the Virginia Wrestling Roundup when we talked about the uh, the situation, I guess, for lack of a better term, about last year's state championships. And now we have another situation that's uh, catching a little bit of steam and it's getting some support. But uh, before we get to that topic, we'll introduce Andrew Farrow, the executive director of VAWA, and talk a little bit about our panel today. Thanks, JB. How's it going up there in Minnesota? It, we're in a heat wave right now. It's a heat wave. It's 35 degrees. It's sweltering. We need your help back here. We're digging out. Schools are canceled, wrestling people are scrambling, but uh, the snow smacked is pretty good. Yeah, see, um, the snow is here all the time. It just doesn't come in 25-inch, you know, bundles. I was, I was talking with Grant Turner, who's a coach at Grandview and, and uh, wrestled Iowa State the other day, and he said, man, you Virginians, you guys just need to get tough. Yeah, well, where he's from, they've got they've got fifteen plows. Where I'm from in Pocosin, we don't have a plow. We have a sled that's on the front of a short bus. That's about all we got in Bull Island. But anyway, Bull uh, Island, Bull yeah. Island. No, well, uh, as you mentioned, JV, uh, the VHSL is in the news again, and um, similar to last year, there's a bill in front of Virginia Virginia General Assembly in 2016 um, that is going to force you know if if passed the VHSL. Uh, we'll have to uh, completely restructure their, their voting uh, system. And, and currently that system stands where each school has one vote. And uh, the legislation in front of the General Assembly will uh, balance a system where uh, each child uh, is represented accordingly as opposed to a small school having the same vote as a monster six A school, so that's sort of the the uh, the issue at hand. And um, you know, we're fortunate to have three guys uh, with us tonight that represent um, a few different points of view. You know, first off, we've got Coach Hill, uh, Roy Hill from Hayfield Secondary School, and 
as everybody knows, Coach Hill attended Hayfield and uh, went on and played three sports at VMI and has, has been coaching and teaching there ever since he finished at VMI. And, and Coach Hill has served in various capacities on the National Rules Committee, on a VHSL committee when they were um, getting their ducks in a row on weight management when that system came out in the early 2000s. And the, Coach Hill's just been around the block. Uh, we're also joined by Matt Keel from Skyline, uh, 3A school in Front Royal. And Coach Keel, as everybody knows, organizes awesome tournaments and takes his kids everywhere. So uh, he's got a smaller school perspective. And then our third guest is Kevin Martingale. Uh, Kevin is an attorney and uh, a parent of three high school athletes at a big school in Virginia Beach and very well educated on the issue um, at hand. Um, in addition to traveling to cross-country meets, and track meets, and wrestling tournaments, uh, Mr. Martingale just finished a term as the president of the Virginia Bar Association. So we've got a lot of knowledge on the call, and um, you know, with that, I will uh, uh, get out of your way, JB. All right, let's just start things off with uh, Mr. Martingale here, and let's just first a little background on an attorney of Virginia Beach. Your kids wrestle, uh, as Andrew mentioned, uh, president of the Bar Association. But when you're talking about, uh, in this case, House Bill 1415 to change the structure of voting in the VHSL, what is the genesis of this? Where is your perspective, and where did it all come from? Well, I think it's no secret that the AAA schools under the old system were opposed to moving from three to six different classifications. And I wrote a letter to Ken Tilly, the executive director of the VHSL, talking about some problems that the move created, including more money spent on travel, more missed time from class, uh, destruction of a lot of rivalries that had previously existed within various um, uh, districts, such as the Beach District, for example. Uh, and what I learned is that the AAA schools were outvoted by the single A's and double A's. And that didn't make any sense to me because I happen to know that the majority of Virginia's population lives in the Northern Virginia, Richmond and Tidewater areas. Um, so to make a long story short, what we ultimately discovered is that the old single A and double A schools representing about 100,000 students um, were able to have more voting power than the AAA schools representing 275,000 students because each school got one vote, no matter how big or small. So a school in Grundy, for example, would have the same voting power as a huge school in Northern Virginia, Richmond, or Tidewater. And we see that as a problem. Um, we think that what's fair is to have proportionate representation where the schools have voting power according to their size. After all, that's how we do competitions. It's consistent with the principle of one man, one vote. And there's really no logical or rational you know, historical basis for this one school equals one vote way of doing things. And, and you see the result. A minority of the population in Virginia ended up dictating to the vast majority a change that the vast majority didn't want. And, you know, we can talk all day about some of the effects of the move to six classifications that a lot of people don't like. But as someone who is an attorney, I wanted to know more about how it happened in the first place and to try to figure out if there was something wrong with the way that it all came about. That's when I discovered the voting problem. And so I thought it made sense to try to address that. And the last point I want to make is this. A lot of people question whether the VHSL ought to be in charge of this anyway. What is the VHSL? It's a private organization in Charlottesville. It's not elected. It's not public. It's not accountable to the public. Um, if you send them a Freedom of Information Act request, they'll tell you they don't have to answer it because they're not public. So they are rather opaque. They're not transparent in the way they conduct business and, and do things. And a lot of folks ask themselves this question, why are they doing this public business anyway? The law says that it's 
the job of the General Assembly and local school boards to handle all aspects of public school education. That includes these competitions. Uh, so if the VHSL is going to continue to be in this business, then my belief, and a lot of people share this belief, is that they ought to at least learn how to handle votes correctly. Um, if they don't want to do that, then I'll tell you what's likely to happen. There's going to be a strong move to strip away their power and to bring this back into the public arena where it belongs. So when we talk about this and you talk about the public entity versus private, and that's one thing that kind of made me scratch my head for years is, and especially it was brought up more so uh, with, with, with what happened last year at the state championship. So uh, being in the media, I'm familiar with Freedom of Information Act requests, but for those who are not quite understanding what a FOIA is, explain what that is and how it, how it impacts, say, a nonprofit organization, a, a, a state association or a a, pr- a public company versus, say, a private organization like, you know, the McDonald's next door or the VHSL? Sure. So public officials and public agencies have to answer Freedom of Information Act requests. And anybody who wants to look it up can find it in the Code of Virginia, which you can find through Google, and then type in 2.2-3700. And that's the beginning of what's called the Freedom of Information Act. But it applies to public officials and public agencies. It does not apply to private entities such as corporate America or private nonprofits such as the VHSL. So even though all of the business that the VHSL handles and all the things they govern are public, because they are themselves a private entity, they don't have to respond to that. The, the Virginia, excuse me, the Freedom of excuse me, the Freedom of Information Act is really an important way for the general public to stay in contact with public officials and agencies to figure out what they're doing. And if you look at the policy statement right at the beginning of the Freedom of Information Act, it explains that, you know, the affairs of government are not to be conducted uh, in secret. They're to be public. You're doing public business. The public's entitled to know what's going on. Here we got the really odd situation where if the General Assembly and school boards were handling competitions themselves then the public would have the absolute right to know what they're doing. It could request documents and notice of meetings, and they could attend meetings and all that stuff. But because they have given over this responsibility to this private entity called the VHSL, we don't have the same rights to know what they're doing. And to me, that's just ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense at all. The history of the VHSLs has been around for around 100 years, and it started off as a group out of Charlottesville at UVA that regulated debate competitions. And over the years, they did a fairly decent job, so they got more and more responsibility. Uh, But now we're starting to see some of the downside of allowing a private group to conduct this kind of public business. So we either have to figure out a way to fix the problems that they're showing, or if that becomes too complicated, then maybe we just need to pull the VHSL out of our public business and and do it ourselves with public officials. Now we're going to go to Roy on this. Again, Roy Hill, the head coach at Hayfield Secondary up in the uh, Northern Virginia, Alexandria, Lorton, that general vicinity, everything that's Nova is, is revolved around Roy's gyms in the past. Uh, of course, Bill Swink might not like to hear that, although Stafford's not really Nova. But it uh, depends on geography. So, Roy, being at a 6A school and always having been uh, Hayfield being a AAA, what is your opinion on on what uh, what Mr. Martingale is trying to introduce in, regarding the VHSL and how it would affect wrestling, but how would it affect sports at the high school level in Virginia? Well, uh, for one, I'm very thankful that Mr. Martingale has taken up this, this banner. Um, it's been a concern of mine for a long time. I have to go back and look at things from a historical perspective. Um, when Virginia was originally a three-class system, um, the different sports were able to govern themselves. For instance, football divided themselves into Division Five and Division Six, so that you had 
larger schools competing with larger schools and schools not as big competing. And so that was a very, uh, uh, that, that particular procedure worked very well and nobody had an issue with it. And then, you know, the VHSL, through a process which I do not understand, and I, I worked with uh, Mr. Keel on several different proposals and trying to understand how to get things through the VHSL is a, it's a quagmire. I don't understand it for any at all, and I'm, maybe somebody else knows more than I do. But in any case, they created a problem where there wasn't one before. And this problem process could have been done in a way to make the smaller schools able to compete but not affect the other schools that were satisfied with the process. Um, the whole Snowmageddon process, uh, uh, situation last year, again, calls the question whether there's any oversight over the actions of the VHSL um, because that, that whole catastrophe is something, you know, that we should never have had to experience. Matt, being at 3A at Skyline, this is, a, again, a 3A school, which back in my day, I didn't, a 3A was Roy. Now 3A is small and uh, up there at Skyline, still a relatively new high school in terms of the, the long-term uh, you know, education system of Virginia. But where, what's your, you know, your take, as Roy gave his, what's your take on the, on the VHSL and, and, and their oversight of wrestling? Well, um, from what I can tell, uh, again, I've only been in Virginia compared to everybody else for you know a relatively short time, you know, ten or ten or twelve years. But I have worked really hard to try and get a ver- variety of things um, uh, pushed through that I think everybody would agree with. Um, we had, uh, uh, you know, the different size uh, regions evened out. Um, we've been we've I've tried twice unsuccessfully. I actually voted against uh, dual meet states twenty five to to zero twice now, um, and, and a variety of other things. When they first went to, uh, from 3A to 6A, uh, they had a two-region format. And uh, when they first decided to do that, I, I put out a proposal in 2012 saying that you guys are going to spend way too much money on this. Uh, you're going to want four regions. And now they're looking at doing that. So you know, I've worked together with a lot of these different coaches to try and get different things done. And I think Roy pointed it out pretty well the the most difficult thing is that depending on who you talk to you get a different path to get things done you know every i i try and you know i'll get 98 percent um approval on 16 man states across wrestling and i'll present that and we we get eight man eight man brackets at state you know things like that and it's just if there was more transparency i think a lot more people might be on board with, you know, some of the decisions they make might not look that great, but if there was just transparency, they'd get more people on board. There's no path. There's no clear, clear path to get things done. Uh, who makes the decisions? And it's, you know, it's weird to me. It's weird that way when, for those of us that are, that are trying to make the sport better. And where I sit and, you know, being out of the state now, but when I go back and look and I, and I saw this and then last year with the, the state championships, I'm looking at some of these regions and this is not just wrestling. This is all sports. I'm like, why is Matthews, which for those geographically challenged, which is on the middle peninsula jutting into the Chesapeake Bay in the same region as Perry McClure, 
which is out in Lexington, a good probably three and a half, four hours. I'm looking at my own my own high school. Why is Pocosin in a conference with Colonial Heights, which is outside of Petersburg? You know, it used to be Southampton was the longest trip. Now it's like, are you kidding me? And I can only imagine what the Eastern score, Eastern Shore schools are dealing with because they they kind of float classifications as as it was anyway. So I'm looking at the the geography. Okay, I get the geography, but then if it's based on geography and enrollment, well. Uh, something doesn't jive here. So why it was just weird to see like Picosin play Phoebus in football. That's just yeah, and they're coming up to Skyline for regionals. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, Skyline. That's that's not an easy haul. You know, it used yeah. to be all right. You know, you had the battlefield district, and you'd meet kind of somewhere in Richmond. Okay, two hours for a region. That's the extent of it. So, and I guess Mr. Martingale, this is where you've had some experience with with uh, you know watching your kids wrestle. Is that kind of whirly what kickstarted this? Be like, wait a minute, this is ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, that's what got me asking questions was when, uh, you know, my son was a freshman. Uh, he's now a senior. So when he, when he was a freshman at Princess Anne High School in Virginia Beach, the beach district wrestled at the beach. Then from there, you would move on to the region. And the region was always held in Chesapeake, which made sense geographically. And then from there, if you advanced, you'd go to the state tournament. And that would be wherever. You know, some years it was in uh, Hampton Roads. Sometimes it was Northern Virginia. But you know, that worked. Um, so when they made the switch and he was a sophomore, his regional wrestling tournament was in Southside Richmond. And we got up there and um, they turned it into a, a two day tournament, which really wasn't necessary, but it did drive up everybody's cost by a lot. And then because of some uh, uh, there was a church that was using the high school for the first half of the day, we weren't even allowed to start the second day of the tournament until it was around 12 o'clock or so. We didn't get home that night until around, uh, I think it was around midnight or after that. And he had to be up at school very early the next day after being in this exhausting tournament. And so that was enough for me. I started asking questions and going, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. They're not putting school first. They're not giving the kids enough sleep. They're making everything cost too much money. There's too much travel, too much missed time from class. And that's what got me asking the questions. And the part that was really the most astounding to me was when I learned how they got to the decision. Because I still sit here as a lawyer, and I got to tell you, I can't believe that schools representing 100,000 students have a mechanism to outvote schools that represent 275,000 students. If anybody can possibly explain that to me, I'm all ears because it doesn't make any sense and it can't be justified. So I think the best way I was having a conversation with my wife before we started this call, and I was trying to explain what we were going to be talking about on this episode. And I guess the easiest way for, I guess, the layman to understand what you're meaning by equal vote, would it be, say, similar to like the Electoral College with the presidential election where California has significantly more pull when it comes to those electoral votes than South Dakota, even though, you know, they're they're both they're both states. They're, you know, they're both equally represented, you know, two in the Senate. But when it comes to the House, you've got a lot more con- constituents to deal with in California than you do South Dakota. Is that the kind of situation you're kind of hoping to get through with with uh, House Bill 1415? Yeah, yeah, and it's not 1415 this year. That was last. OK. Last year. Um, so first of all, I'll give you a few examples. So first of all, yeah, the Electoral College is a pretty good analogy. Another way to look at it is how do we elect our congressmen? Um, Virginia has more representatives in Congress than Rhode Island, but fewer than New York. Why? Because each congressperson is supposed to have roughly the same number of constituents. Um, Another way to look at it, the Virginia House of Delegates and the Virginia Senate, both sides of our state government, both uh, houses within our legislature, each person represents roughly the same number of citizens. So each Senate district 
if you're in a rural area, you have a lot of geography to capture that number of people. Whereas if you're in an urban area, then you would have smaller geography. But the idea is that each citizen deserves to have an equal voice. And so that's the point of it. Now, real quickly, the difference between last year's bill and this year, this year's bill is the following. Last year, it was tied to finances. And basically, it said, however you're charging the various schools, that's how the voting power should be apportioned. But there was a problem with that because it's a little complicated how they're charged. There's a flat fee, and then there's also an amount per participant based on last year's numbers, and it gets to be complicated math. And it would require a lot of changes every year. So this year, what we did with the bill to make it more simple is simply said this. However it is that you're drawing the lines for classifications, that's the formula you're going to use for voting, too. And that is very simple. Obviously, the VHSL thinks it's really important to have, you know, as close as possible to absolute equality of school size when schools compete against each other. That's why we had to carve it up so finely into six different groups. All right. Well, whatever the math formula is you're using for that, that's going to be the math formula that we want to see you use for voting rights. And that's it. But, but the, really, the most shocking number is this. You just got to bear in mind this. Just remind yourself, 100,000 students represented by their schools were able to outvote the wishes of 275,000 students represented by the big schools. And that's, that, that's the bottom line. And that's not right. So to play somewhat of a devil's advocate role here, say, you know, I, I grew up and went to a Pocosin High School, which was then a double A. And when you look at it, well, if the big schools are making all the decisions for the little schools, the, the I guess the other side of the coin, again, devil's advocate here, what does the scheduling and alignment from Hayfield, uh, how is that going to affect, you know, that could negatively affect Grundy, which is, you know, for, for them, an hour is probably their shortest run to a district match in, or whatever sport. So how would the voting structure, if it gave equal voting power based on students, how do you think that would affect the small schools in this plan? I'll get Matt Keel's opinion on this in a moment, but, you know, what is your what is your counter to that type of argument? Well, I've got two. First of all, there's no history that I've ever heard that the AAA schools under the old system were doing things that were abusive to the AA's and the single A's. So while I guess theoretically, if you fixed it the way that I'm talking about doing it, there could be some type of issue or vote where the AAA's would pick on the small schools. That historically has not been the case. The other point I want to make is this. Joining the VHSL is a voluntary act. No school board is required to do it. They all decide to do it because it's kind of the only way to win a state championship because it's the only organization currently doing this. But I could envision a scenario where it ends up splitting up into two different organizations if this turns into a fight that just can't be solved. The triple A's could start their own organization and the single A's and double A's could have the VHSL. But make no mistake about it. There are a lot of people in triple A schools Throughout Northern Virginia, the Richmond area, and Tadwater, they're not going to put up with it much longer. They're just not going to have it. Hey, I can, I'll chime in. I would say that I know for sure that administrators in Northern Virginia have looked into withdrawing from the BHSL because they feel for the amount of money that they put into the organization that they get virtually no services and no benefit from it. And it'd be much better for them to be self-governing and make sure they look out for the best wishes of their constituents. And they, that, that right now is not what is occurring with the BHSL model that we've currently been using. A Virginia Beach school board member told me the same thing down here in Virginia Beach. You know, and we, we're a city of 435,000 people. So once again, I don't think the VHSL can afford to have Virginia Beach withdraw, and Virginia Beach wouldn't do it alone. They would get together with some of the other large school districts and figure out an alternative to all this. 
Once again, this is not an effort to pick on the rural areas of the state. It's just an effort to not be ruled by the smaller part of the state. You know, population-wise, we shouldn't have the rural schools telling the urban and suburban schools that they have to go to six, uh, six classifications when they don't want to do that. They didn't want to do it in the first place, and the result has been it's a budget-busting problem. It has ruined natural rivalries. It's watered down what it means to be a state champion. It's taking kids out of the classroom, lots more driving around. I mean, it is, it is just not working out. And, you know, the, the, the problem is a symptom of an underlying problem. And the underlying problem is how we got there. What was the process that leads us to this? It's the goofy voting problem. Uh, Coach Keel, let's go with your perspective from the 3A standpoint. And, uh, you know, what have you had? Have you had conversations with your administrators and and understanding how this this whole thing is 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 working? I mean, how would, say, the the equal vote thing affect, say, the 3A, 2As and 1As of the world? Well, listening to this, what's interesting to me is that, um, you know, I, I sit in on a lot of conversations and I talk to various administrators at a bunch of different schools. And, you know, I don't I, we're we're in the middle, you know, we're we're right smack dab in the middle of what was two a. So we're not a tiny school, but we're certainly not a big school. We got about a thousand kids. Um, and I, I don't I've never heard from anybody that, uh, you know, when these conversations come up. The little schools are doing this to us or the big schools are doing that, you know, I, the whole voting disparity thing uh, could, could I could see that it could be a thing. But really. Um, it, you know, was that the only way to solve the, what was the problem? And, and was six a the only way to solve the problem and was two regions, the only way to solve the problem and, and, and things of that nature. So, you know, my wonder is, um, will, will, will changing the voting apparatus change as many things as everybody hoping that it would, you know what I'm saying? Uh, a lot of it, you know, how did we come to that? As soon as, I remember having conversations about, you know, let's look at eight man brackets as a result of the six A, you know, the the six A structure created two regions because they wanted to give out the same number of medals. They wanted there to be the same number of all state guys, so they narrowed the brackets and they had two regions instead of four. And where did this come from? You know that that you know who who came up with that and and every sport should be treated a little bit different. Um, I know that forensics has a committee that specializes in forensics because a lot of the administrators will say, Hey, I don't really understand it. So they, they, you know, why isn't there a wrestling community? You know, wrestling's an extremely unique sport that should be sought at differently. I know before they split into six a went back when they were three a uh, football was already split, you know, so a lot of, te- you know, a team sport like that was already split. Basketball was going in that direction. Um, so I don't think that, I don't think the big split, had to do as much with individual sports. I know that uh, before this, right before the split, we we had a pretty dang good softball team, and two years in a row we lost by a point or two in like region quarterfinals to Briar Woods. And at the time, we had about 850 kids in the building, and that was right before Briar Woods bumped up, and they had like 1,800 kids in the building. Um, so I know there were discussions along the team lines. Um, and then all the R&R stuff that was going on every year, all the redistricting and reclassification. And I think they just tried this, this broad stroke of a solution to try and fix a bunch of the, the redistricting and reclassification problems we were having, as well as the huge disparities of Northern Virginia schools growing, like all the Loudoun County schools, for instance, 
being built and growing at a rapid rate, while the schools, uh, you know, maybe in southwestern Virginia were either getting smarter or actually com- closing and combining and stuff like that. Um, so they, 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 they created this broad stroke of a solution. And uh, I don't know at the time if the voting uh, was different, if, if larger schools had a, had a bigger vote, if that would have, um, you know, solved some of the problems that we're talking about. So I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm for it if it, if it actually fixes things, uh, you know, I think 6A is, is watered down. Um, you know, I agree with everybody, but, you know, I, I use the, the, you know, we have two regions per state and we're about to go to four regions per state. Um, you know, that's happening four years after the split. And, you know, what's going on? I don't know. I, I, I just I just think that we could do more um, to make the governance a little bit better, if that makes any sense. I want to pitch this to Andrew if he can come back in here because he's got the private school aspect of things and uh, the the private schools, various different sports. There's different acronyms for each sport. Andrew, how does the private school structure work in Virginia and how how are things determined within wrestling in the private schools compared to what your experience is at St. Chris with other sports? Sure. Again, you've got to remember that you're dealing with a much smaller sample size, so it's it's much easier in niche sports or just smaller uh, smaller communities to get everyone's voice, uh, to get everyone's opinion on the table, to have everyone's voice heard. And uh, I know in the private school sector, um, you know, the, there's just a lot of communication and transparency. And uh, uh, that comes from, you know, the fact that you're dealing with some of the best schools on the East Coast in the state of Virginia. And, and also because it's, it's very easy for everyone to uh, you know, communicate and get together. But um, you know, the beauty of an independent school is that you can, you know, judge or, or view scenarios or decisions on a case-by-case basis. So, um, for instance, within the uh, Virginia Independent School Athletic Association, the VISA, uh, each sports head coaches are empowered to identify or uh, elect their own leaders within their sport and, and really just make the decisions in the best interest of the student athletes and the schools uh, that are involved. So um, hopefully if this legislation passes, bringing some accountability and transparency to the VHSL will allow each sport and each size to uh, have a bit more say in in what's going on and, and ultimately make the experience better for the kids because at the end of the day, uh, it's sad to see uh, an organization with so much control um, just uh, stick it to the kids. When we're talking about lack of local rivalries, time out of the classroom, you know, increased dollars spent by uh, you know both teams and parents. You know, at the end of the day, that's that's sad. Our kids deserve better. Yeah, we're seeing increased dollars from the schools, whereas I believe the one of the concepts of the multi-state championships across all these sizes was more money for the VHSL. So I guess that circles back to our uh, our initial point here with Mr. Martingale. So let's let's take some hypothetical situations here and scenarios and and piece together what solutions can come of this. One, say the bill passes. Let's first of all say that passes. Then we get this opportunity. It's probably gonna. It could cause things to implode, explode. It could cause, uh, you know, reorganization as a whole of that organization. Or uh, if that doesn't, maybe the alternative route is to try to get some type of 
uh, something else to say. The VHSL can allow the sports to kind of govern themselves, kind of like Andrew was explaining with the private schools in Virginia. So uh, what are the solutions for this problem? I mean, there's probably more than one. There's probably 20. It's just, again, as Matt Keel said, getting everybody on the same page. But uh, from where you sit, Mr. Martingale, what, what do you think the solutions are? Uh, A, the bill passes solution. B, the bill doesn't pass. Find another solution. Well, I look at it like this. I think it's a very modest step in the right direction to tell them to fix the voting structure so that we have proportionate representation so that every student in Virginia has equal say through whoever the representative is at the VHSL casting a vote. Right? So that, that that's a very small step. Um, another step that I would like to see the VHSL agree to take or that the General Assembly could make it take is to be a be made subject to the Freedom of Information Act, just like public officials and public agencies. They're doing public business, and I believe they should operate as transparently as possible. They currently don't, but let's face it, they're doing public business with public assets, public dollars. It's all a public function. So I don't like the fact that they're able to hide behind being private, and I think they should be more transparent. Now, if this first modest step doesn't go through, um, there'll be some who will say, well, let's just try again next year at the General Assembly. Uh, Candidly, what I will start doing at that point is I will start a discussion with some public officials about whether or not the VHSL ought to be in charge at all. You know, we there's another way to do this. We have a state department of education that has the structure in place right now so that it could take over these functions. And people at first will go, oh, my gosh, we don't want the government involved. We're not talking about a private company here. What we're talking about is public schools, tax dollars, all public matters. It ought to be handled by public officials. And so there's another way to do it. The bigger solution might be simply to take it out of the hands of a private entity and have a publicly accountable, publicly transparent organization such as the Department of Education take it over. I'm not necessarily convinced that that big step is what has to be taken. But if we can't get it done this simple way with these modest steps that we're proposing, then I think maybe we just look for the big solution and we just put this back where it belongs. And frankly, where it belongs, and I think most people know this, the operation of public education, including competitions, ought to be handled by public officials and we ought to all be able to know what they're doing. So that's where I see it. I think the VHSL needs to be very careful about fighting against this legislation because if they do it, there'll be people who go, you know what, maybe the VHSL just needs to get out of the way. Heading back up to Roy, what are your thoughts here? It's interesting. Um, I can remember. Uh, on several occasions, proposing uh, some changes in the way that VHSL organized wrestling. And uh, Mr. Kiel was with me uh, last spring at a meeting with my principal, who was the Northern Region representative uh, to the VHSL Executive Council. And uh, our wrestling uh, counterpart, uh, Mr. Tilly's. Uh, um, person that he has over wrestling was there, and we talked about a variety of matters, and they could not agree what was the process of putting forward any change to the VHSL. That's a big issue. I know uh, uh, Matt Keel has come up with a couple of different uh, proposals that would greatly benefit the sport, but you're, you're, you're stymied at the entrance of the VHSL how to get this in front of the principals. And then you have the issue that most of the principals don't know much about wrestling or track or whatever it is. So basically, they look at whichever principal is the most strongest personality, the most dominant person, 
But whatever he does, they just nod their head in accordance and go along with it. And so there does need to be some figure that's down there that's over-wrestling, that listens to the wrestling coaches and administrators, that's over-tracked, that's over-swimming in these different sports so that they make a wise, educated decision. Truthfully, the VHSL assembly as it stands right now is, is this not the best working model for eliciting any change. There's no agreement how to do it, and then you're asking people to vote on things that they frankly do not understand. That needs to change. Now, one thing that I, re- I do remember that did cause the VHSL to make some change, this goes back to 1997, and uh, my senior year in high school, uh, there was uh, Grafton High School was built, Nansman River and Lakeland went from the Bay Rivers District in AA up to the Southeastern District in AAA, and the assistant principal at the time at Nansman River was a guy named Kevin Alston, and his daughter played field hockey and tennis. In double A at the time, they were in different seasons. Field hockey was in the fall. Girls tennis was in the spring. Now, when they went triple A, field hockey and girls uh, girls tennis ended up in the same season. So there was litigation filed. It was a Title IX lawsuit that because, again, girls basketball was also in the fall in double A and single A, where, where volleyball was in the winter in single A and double A. So it took litigation. It took a Title IX lawsuit in that case to get the, the VHSL to re- or realign its sports to where everything was uniform. And I guess my question here to, uh, to Mr. Martingales is, is that is that what this eventually could take? Is a lawsuit finding some type of uh, discriminatory clause that's saying this is this is jeopardizing kids? This is this is something not equal. Is that where this could ultimately go? Is you know a lawsuit to to force things through? Uh, yes, it could. And I certainly hope it doesn't take that. But I'll tell you, I think that somebody if if somebody got excited enough about this whole thing, I think there could be a successful challenge to allowing this private group to be in control in the first place. There's literally nothing I can find in the Code of Virginia that authorizes the current arrangement. I mean, the Constitution of Virginia and the Code of Virginia are both very, very clear in who has responsibility for regulating all aspects of public school education. It's the General Assembly in conjunction with local school boards. I can't find anything that authorizes them to delegate that authority. Now, there are a lot of other examples I've seen in the law where uh, the government has tried to delegate some of its responsibilities in the past, and when it's been challenged, they've usually lost those lawsuits. So this is a currently interesting arrangement that has been sort of tolerated, and people have kind of gone along with it because it's the way we've done things for 100 years. That doesn't mean that it's legally correct. That doesn't mean it would survive. And that's yet another potential angle. It's nothing that I'm really interested in pursuing because I think there are other ways to get at the problem. I think we can fix it through legislation. I think that maybe the government could just decide to take over this responsibility that it ought to be filling in the first place. But if some parents got together or some administrators or whomever decided to challenge the existence of the VHSL in terms of the way it has all this control, I think that that's a lawsuit that could succeed. One other thing I want to point out real quick is this. This is one of the things that really does worry me about the VHSL. You know, we've heard some people talking about the budgets that were impacted heavily by all the extra travel. I I know for a fact, for example, that the first year of moving to six classifications Some of our area uh, school boards were out of money for travel after the second season. So when winter came to an end, they were done with travel budgets. They all had to start scrambling to find money. In essence, what you have is some unelected people who took action and cast votes that amounted to a tax increase. It was an unfunded mandate. Everybody suddenly had to play by a new set of rules and it cost everybody more money. So where does that money come from? 
Well, some of the more wealthy school districts can find the money. They got some money somewhere in their budget and they can make it all work. Other school districts can't. Some of these cities are poor. Some of the schools are poor. Some of the localities don't have that uh, that extra room. So then what happens? Well, I'll tell you what's going to happen if we don't solve the budget problems. You're going to see middle school sports cut where they exist. You'll see JV teams cut where they exist. You'll see some of the less popular uh, non-revenue sports go away. But there will be cuts. I mean, money doesn't grow on trees. So there is a limit to how many things a group like the VHSL can do that costs more money where there's not an additional source of revenue to fund it. So that's another thing we all need to be thinking about. Do we like the idea of a private entity in Charlottesville casting votes and making decisions that cost everybody more money without any new revenue streams? I'm uncomfortable with that. And I think there will be problems for some of the uh, less well-off school districts. Yeah. And some people might bring up the point that uh, you're only in this because you've got kids that are affected by it. Well, guess what? If you don't, if your scenario comes to pass, it's going to be more parents going to be impacted. So while it's not the wrestling guys right now, or it's not the, the basketball players right now that are on JV, all of a sudden, with your scenario, that could be a reality. And all of a sudden now they're going to be like, well, that wrestling guy was right. So uh, this is where I'm not, you know, I'm a parent. Well, let, let, let me make this point. It's easier. It's easier for my kids to be state champions under the current arrangement. So if I was speaking out of self-interest and trying to get my kids, you know, extra trophies, I would like the current arrangement because they're in 5A. They're not in 6A. They're in 5A. Under the old AAA system, it would be a lot harder. My daughter won a track championship as a sophomore to 3,200 meters. Her time would not have won 6A, but it won 5A. Okay, so, you know, if people think that I'm doing it because I think this somehow directly benefits my kids, I actually, you know, it's certainly not about getting more trophies. And Virginia Beach has enough money so that Virginia Beach is not likely to have to cut a lot of things. We're not a poor city. But there are other localities around us that certainly don't have the wiggle room. And it's it shouldn't be about seeing how many different trophies we can hand out as state champions. It ought to be more about focusing on academics, time in class, not busting budgets, making sure that parents can attend all of the events wherever they're located, and so forth. And but more fundamentally, it should be about making decisions the right way so that everybody has an equal opportunity to participate in the decision-making process. And currently, that's not the way it is. Well, I, this is Keel. I, I, you know, I listen in uh, intently. I, I will offer an alternative point of view. I currently teach in an environment where we have people that have never taught before legislating things like No Child Left Behind. And the more I think about it, you know, I think that the VHSL could use a little bit of transparency and restructuring, but having elected officials who are also in charge of uh, making sure SOL scores go up and, and you know and, and things of that nature who've never potentially never played a sport or coached a sport now making legislative decisions for all of the athletics, you know, all the school athletics in the state. Uh, you know, I, I was, you know, when I first got invited to this phone call, one of the things that we all, you know, need to stop and think about is the law of unintended consequences. If we completely remove the VHSL altogether and and make it a, uh, you know, make the administration something that's done by elected officials, we might not get everything that we want. Um, Roy pointed out um, just how it would be nice if the legislation was put a little bit more back into the hands of the, of the individual sports. Like if wrestling people could help influence the decisions at the VHSL level when it comes to wrestling, I'll give you a good example. The first time I tried to get dual meet States passed, uh, it got voted against 25 to zip. I went up there. I found out that the way it works at the VHSL is I get three minutes to talk. And if 
you've ever been around me while I was talking, that's barely enough time for me to tell you my name, you know, but, um, <laughs> I, and then, and then, so I talk, you know, I, I introduce myself and, and it gets voted against the, some of the feedback, and this is real feedback. Some of the feedback I got is that, um, a, uh, a lot of the schools that were voting thought that it was an open tournament and for all schools to go to rather than a playoff system. I got that honest feedback. Um, and then, you know, some of the other feedback I got was, well, you know, way back in the 90s or the 80s, whatever, some of the schools went and didn't take their full lineup. And they didn't take the time to read in the proposal that all the all the teams that were uh, winning and placing high at the state tournament at the time had committed to bringing their full lineup. So I think part of this and, and, and you know, again, I, I'll go back to the fact that I, I submitted a proposal before we when it got announced we were going 6A before we had actually done so uh, about the concept of two regions is going to double the cost for, you know, every school in the state for all sports to just to travel. Um, I I think if the voting members, you know, they have a, a, a lot gets just done at the executive level, but a lot gets voted on. And my concern is sports like wrestling and a lot of sports uh, where people don't really understand exactly what's going on. Um, they don't know what they're voting on. They don't really uh, have a clear picture. Um, like Royce said, there's a, there's a big voice. There is a principal or an athletic director who um, everybody views as, oh, he's the wrestling guy. What do you think we should do? And that, that guy, tell, and everybody just kind of nods and moves along. And there's no, nobody active in the wrestling community that can educate them as to, hey, if we go 6A and we do two regions, we're driving down to Pocosin every other day, every other year. That ain't, that's going to cost some money. You know, we're going to, if we get into football playoffs, our football team is going to drive down to Lafayette. You know, that's going to cost some money and, and so on and so forth. Um, so I don't know that handing all the control to elected officials who've never played a sport is the best idea. I, I just think that, you know, there, sh- there should be wrestling people involved in the wrestling decisions and gymnastics people involved in the gymnastics decisions and so on and so forth. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. And that, that is a, the biggest issue. You don't have uh, vocal opponents for the, uh, the sports that aren't the big three that are, can present to the General Assembly or to whichever body is going to make the decision, the various alternatives. They don't. There's, there's nothing in place for that, and that is the problem. We we have to have uh, that type of voice in order to elicit change. If it stands as it is, we're going to get what we got. And the sad thing is there are models throughout the United States. You look right up in Pennsylvania, the way they do things, other states, and they do have people on their staffs or their, represent, uh, their various organizations who are wrestling people. And they're the ones that run the, the state tournament and they make the various changes. And and what's good for wrestling is not necessarily good for basketball or football. So you have to have that type of flexibility. And get yourselves on this one coat paints all kind of treatment that's, that's not working. It's cost, uh, you know, Chesapeake schools by themselves, $197,000 budget increase for travel last year. That's just that school system. So across the board, it's, it's not working. It's not working. So Kevin, with those, those two scenarios, well, those, those topics that uh, coach Keel and coach Hill brought up, 
the reality of that happening is pretty much nil right now. This the, these bills, this bill getting through. How much would this bill actually help that? I'm, I'm I'm assuming that okay, then you can now get to a vote where principals can say, you know what, hey, you know what, if we want to do, we want wrestling to govern wrestling, we want basketball to govern basketball. That that could be a decision that could then be put to a vote, and the VHSL would have to have to deal with versus the uh, the VHSL making the rules, right? Yeah, I mean, look, I totally understand the idea of having experts in their field make decisions that govern the teams that they know about. I mean, I'm on board with that. What I've talked about here in terms of this one particular piece of legislation that's currently pending is, in my mind, a very small step in the right direction. It doesn't tell the VHSL how they have to form committees or anything else that is that particular. All it does is simply change the way voting occurs overall to make sure that you have proportionate representation. I think there are other larger problems that have to be addressed. I do think it's a mistake if you've got people who know about volleyball deciding how wrestling tournaments are going to run and vice versa. Those are decisions that can be made by the people who are involved with the VHSL, by all the principals, the school board members who have input, the legislators who have input. There are a lot of people who are involved and they should be making those decisions. I don't pretend to be um, a teacher or a coach. You know, I have my own athletic background and I've, of course, been interested in what my kids are up to. But I'm not trying to take over the VHSL or to micromanage the exact way they do business. This bill is really very modest in scope, but I think it addresses a major structural flaw that led to the six classifications being forced on the AAA schools. And and I think some of the AA schools don't like it either. You know, I'm calling it AA and AAA because that's what we used to call it. But, you know, the mid-sized schools and almost all of the larger schools are finding that this has been a real burden. They don't like it. And the first thing to do is to fix the voting. And then from there, let everybody start addressing all the other problems that exist within the VHSL. And if, as I said before, if we can't figure out how to fix the rest of the problems, then maybe we just ought to replace it. I do understand the reluctance that Coach Keels expressed in turning it over to government officials. I get that. But at some point, if you get too much fight from the group that ought to feel privileged to be allowed to do this in the first place, then sometimes you got to ask them why they're allowed to be around anymore. That's all I'm saying. All right. So say uh, John Q. Taxpayer, it, it likes what they hear is here and they want to they want to get involved. So the step what are the steps for, you know, John Q. Taxpayer and Jane Q. Taxpayer to should they contact their elected officials and say, hey, we, we support this is how does that work in terms of getting uh, the, the local school board, the you know, the the people that represent the people, so to speak, to actually vote in favor of this? Yeah. So the way to do it is this. The first thing for any uh, John Q. Taxpayer to do is to look up the bill. This bill is being sponsored by Delegate Glenn Davis of Virginia Beach. You can look him up if you were to simply Google Delegate Glenn Davis, Virginia Beach. It'd be easy to find his page at the General Assembly. And then you can look at his legislation. This bill has a number. Every bill coming out of the House starts with HB. It stands for House Bill. It's House Bill 965. And there's a little summary description if you look at the legislation he's proposing. Then you can look at the bill and see what it says, and you can see where it is in the process. Currently, it is in a subcommittee of the Education Committee. If you click on it, you can see who those people are. And you click on their names, you got their full contact information. So you can send them an email or you can make a phone call. And you can tell them what your feeling is about it, one way or the other. Um, some of them are rural delegates who are more likely, I guess, to oppose it. And there are others who are from urban and suburban areas who are more likely, you would think, to support it. But be that as it may, people can express their opinions to the committee members or the subcommittee members who have the bill right now. 
The other thing to do that is highly effective is to contact your own legislators, legislators, wherever you live. If you're in Richmond, you ought to know who your delegate and your senator is. Contact that person, each, both the senator and the delegate. Say what you feel about the problem, what the things are that you're encountering. Um, email is particularly effective because they can print it off or store it, put it in a folder or what have you, and that's a good way to communicate. Also, contact your school board members. Your school board is there to deal with these kinds of issues. And if a school board passes a resolution either in favor of or against a bill like this, they know how to lobby the General Assembly for whichever position they want to take. So obviously, the school board should be involved as well. All these public officials are easy to find in the age of the Internet. I mean, you can just literally sit at your computer, never leave it. And like the old days where it was hard to know how to reach your elected representatives, it's so easy now. You just sit there. And if you, know, if you live in Virginia Beach, you go to vbschools.com. And then you can look exactly at who the leaders are, find your school board members and so forth. It's similar in every community. Every community, you can find who your school board representatives are, contact them. You can go to the General Assembly's website, figure out who your legislator is in both the House and the Senate, contact them. And then you can track legislation by the number. This is House Bill 965. But main thing is this, be heard. It does make a difference. Everybody is entitled to express their thoughts about this. And I think everybody should, whether they agree or disagree with me, it's an important topic. Now, I want to want to close with this because we've had a couple scenarios now moving away from from at least the bill at this moment. I've thought about this since our last call. Well, our call about the, the the state tournament last year, I got the gears moving. And I know Matt does a lot of this stuff, this gears moving stuff and proposals and scenarios. But I just want to offer from say, you know, perfect world. We get this all right on wrestling is going to govern wrestling, which is what we want ultimately for our sport. So. I've traveled this country. I've seen Colorado state tournaments, Minnesota, Maryland, Virginia, Pennsylvania, New Jersey. I've seen a ton of different state tournaments. I've seen a ton of different formats. And uh, I guess Andrew can pipe back in here when we get to to this discussion. So I want kind of want to go around the horn about what our our perfect state championship scenario is. And and I'm going to be I'm the host of the show, so I'm going to give you mine first. So let, I want to follow more of a, a New Jersey model, uh, even though they do have the the private schools in with the public schools in many cases, just like in Ohio, save the preps. But I would like to see us to keep if we're going to keep a six class system. If they're going to keep it for all sports, wrestling can can work with that with the dual meet championship. I know Matt's Matt's been pushing this too, but you go okay. New Jersey has uh, five publics and two privates. Okay, they've got seven state champions, dual meets. They're all based on size. You know, the worst kid on your team that's in the starting lineup, he's part of the state championship team. That's you know, rural retreat's going to take on Fort Chiswell in a dual meet, or, or you know, Glenver and Grundy are going to go, or, or Pocosin and Tab, or or Colonial Forge and Hayfield. We're going to have schools of like minded in dual meets to determine a team state championship. Now, New Jersey doesn't keep a team score at their individual state tournament, and it's one class. They go through, and they go, and the best of the best come out of New Jersey. Their guy, Jordan Burroughs, three-time world champion, Olympic champion, won one high school state title in New Jersey. That's how tough it was. And he got recruited off those mats to go to Nebraska because they knew if you win a New Jersey state title, you're a hammer. So I'm thinking... One state tournament, we can have it boom, Charlottesville or or whatever the Patriot Center is called now. I think it's a bank now, Roy. It's 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 got naming rights, something along those lines. Boom, you can rotate right. it. And then you can have your, your state duels. They can stay in the gym. So if Robinson wants to host the six A, boom, you know, you go down to Forge, you go down to Tab, you go you know, out west, you can have other state tournaments that bring in revenue. Because they're dual meets, you're bringing, you're packing the gym for you know thousand, fifteen hundred people for these dual meet events. They could be a regional, could be a weekend. I think the that format to me 
Minnesota does it like that. They they do have three individual tournaments, but they have a dual meet tournament, and their dual meet determines the state title. They have three individual tournaments, and if we could go back, I like one. If we want to go back to three, we should have that option. But I I am in favor of the the one state championship, and then if we stick with six, the six dual meet state champions because we want we want schools to compete against schools that size. To me, that's the solution. So now. I'm going to start with uh, Andrew. Since you're in the private schools, what's uh, what's your thought? Sure, JB. Well, I'm with you. I want the one big individual tournament, and then however we decide to d- divvy it up for the duels. Uh, a dual meet is a much better indication of a team's strength and, and how they train together and, and how scrappy they are and how they're willing to fight for each other versus a team score at an individual tournament where you can have two champs and, and crack the top ten. Um, the privates will always be privates because of the national prep tournament and the qualification process to to get to that event. But uh, you know, by emphasizing the dual meet, we will also see local rivalries come back. and And if the sport of wrestling is going to survive in this new age of funding and and uh, being easy for the non wrestling person to understand, it's going to be on it's going to fall on dual meets. We need to pump dual meets and they need to be held in local gyms on a Friday night, easy to attend, just like a high school basketball or football game. They're easy for people to understand. And um, there's nothing like a good rivalry dual meet. So I'm all for breaking up the duels and, and picking your team champion that way. And then one big monster individual tournament. Matt Keel, I know you got probably 50, 55, 60 scenarios of what I just uh, outlined. What is your favorite scenario of the ones that you've come up? Yeah, you know, um, yeah, maybe 48. Um, the, the thing is, I, I, I can't remove the politics of the situation from my brain in, you know, in coming up with my dream scenarios. I will start off with saying that um, dual meet states uh, would just be enormous. Um, I, I I I wish I could just stand in front of somebody who could just make the decision and say, dude, I'll run it. I'll run it at Skyline. Or I'll run it. You know, let's just try it. You know, don't just give us the date. You know, let's just do it. And let me show you how big a deal it would be because it would be, it would be awesome. And I do think that the 6A structure lends itself. I, I actually, uh, when they go to the, the new um, uh, four region format, they're getting away with conference tournaments. Well, that gives us an extra weekend right there, right before regionals, to run the the dual state tournament. So uh, I I think it it uh, lends itself perfectly. I think um, if we're dreaming a VHSL sponsored uh, super states would be pretty cool. Uh, what I'm talking about there is let's let's you know let's leave what we got. Nobody likes it, but let's leave what we got. We got one A, two A, three A, four A, five A, six A state tournament. So you are, congratulations, you are the 3A uh, state champion. And then the following week, or, or maybe the following day, that might be a little crazy, but the following week, there's super states where the 1A, you know, whatever, the top one or two or three guys from one, two, three, four, five, six, heck, throw the prep guys in there too, you know, take all seven groups, throw them into a super state tournament, um, and then have the ultimate champion. Uh, I think that would be, that'd be a pretty cool scenario too. Roy, going to go your way because you were still coaching. Actually, still, you've been coaching since the uh, the AAA state tournament was was still had a dual meet championship, and uh, I believe the last year was 1996. And Great Bridge beat Franklin County 66 to nothing. 
in the finals. And uh, I remember some year there were upsets like that year, Steve Crocker's team at Mills Godwin beat Western Branch, and it was like a huge upset because the Central Region wasn't really great at the time. And what did you remember about the dual meet state championships, and what's your perfect scenario for duels in individual states? Well, for one thing, the dual meet uh, event would be the most exciting, fan-friendly event imaginable. Uh, I remember as a young coach going to our uh, regional duels and watching and the top two teams then make it to the states and going down to Great Bridge to watch those teams compete, and the, the gym was packed. Uh, the, the atmosphere was electric. And, uh, you know, the complaints you had was that Great Bridge was winning it every year, Christian Bird was winning it every year, Bondi was winning it every year, et cetera. But those, they had great teams. And, uh, and still, it was a great thing to be a part of, and that's what I think will save our sport. It's something we have to have. Um, the I like the idea of either doing a, uh, a single individual state tournament where you don't have a team sport and uh, you get the best out there, or as Matt suggested, taking the best kids out of each of the six classifications, putting them together, and having a grand state or super state event. But in any case, uh, that's something that would would uh, think uh, quench the thirst of those who want to see the best individuals. And at the same time, save our sport by uh, focusing on the team aspect. And, uh, you know, just something that uh, I would like to see discussed on a future program is the state of wrestling in the United States. You know, that's something I have grave concerns about. And I think a dual meet tournament, uh, emphasizing duels in our sport, is a major component. Uh, preserving our sport. And now I guess, we, Mr. Mario, we'll give you the last word. I mean, uh, kind of threw a scenario at you. I mean, being a parent, what's what's your ideal situation here? Well, it sounds like we're all on board with the same general concept. I would love to see uh, some type of format that allowed for a dual meet state championship uh, as well as a super individual championship. It was a lot of fun when, uh, you know, I would go, for example, to the Virginia Duels very exciting environment, whole lot of fun. And I'd love to see a state championship uh, follow that format. And I also think it's important in an individual matchup sport like wrestling, uh, where maybe the best kid at 120 pounds goes to St. Christopher's, or maybe that kid goes to Robinson High School. It doesn't really matter how big your school is, as long as you're 120 pounds and you know how to wrestle. So um, I would like to see uh, a true individual state champion at every weight. And however that's done, whether it's done first with I guess, uh, a bracketed championship leading to a final tournament or whether they just skip that intermediate step and just go straight to it. But it sounds like we all agree that there ought to be some changes there, and I hope to see that happen. Well, with that, we'll wrap up Episode 10 of the Virginia Wrestling Roundup. I'd like to thank Kevin Martingale for coming on the program, Matt Keel from Skyline, Roy Hill from Hayfield, and Andrew Farah from Virginia Wrestling Association. So uh, you want to check out the show, virginiawrestling.com. And again, Mr. Martingale's suggestion, House Bill 965, look it up, find your subcommittees and, and your, your local delegates and school board members and uh, tug their ear a little bit, shoot them an email. So uh, for our panel, I'd like to thank you guys for coming on and uh, we'll see you next time.
show is part of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. For more wrestling podcasts, head over to matttalkonline.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 